week, but not witnessing. But one day I'm going to stand here and say, I've had a busy week witnessing. Dan, we love those stories. Well done. Keep going, my friend. You inspire us. Very good. Never feel condemned when someone like Dan stands up and shares that. Feel stirred. Don't go away thinking, oh, i never do that. No, no. We can do it. We have our moments. Keep going, Dan. Good man. Good. Okay. Well, just want to say before I get into my preach, thank you for your prayers for us. Uh, Particularly, many of you know that over the last uh, little while, Jane's mum's not been well. She passed away a couple of weeks ago. We had the funeral on Friday. It went well. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you for that. Uh, something inside of me, whenever I go to a funeral, always cries out, No! We weren't created for this. Adam and Eve, I don't believe, would have ever died had they have not sinned. And uh, so something in me that always does that. But we just wanted to say thank you so much for your prayers. And... <clears throat> Interestingly, back early last term, I read this passage that we're going to look at this morning and made a few notes on it and thought to myself, one day I'll preach on that and stuck my single sheet of A4 paper away, uh, not knowing, actually, that I would be preaching a couple of days after Jane's mum's funeral. But when this preaching slot came up in September, uh, I just sensed this was the message God wanted me to bring and it wasn't really until last week that I realized, oh, this is actually quite pertinent to kind of what we've just gone through as a family and the funeral on Friday. So there you go. I didn't know, but God knew. Uh, God knew that Carrie was concerned about not spotting Zoe's offense. God knows that guy throwing up and still loves him and wants to reach out to him. God knows these things because uh, God knows everything. God knows you, everything about you, every thought, everything in your heart now and forever. Amen? We can't hide before God. Why should we? Why would we want to when he's good and kind to us? Anyway, so there we come to this passage this morning, and I've printed it for you uh, under the heading of faith. We're going to have a good look at Job 19. So uh, not really Job, often not preached from, uh, but I like the book of Job. Uh, so here we go. Follow it with me. Job 19. 1 to 29. Then Job replied, he's talking to his friends uh, who have basically been saying to Job, the reason why this is happening is because you've sinned. Uh, you, you just won't admit it, but you've sinned and God's doing all this. And this is what they've been saying to Job. So then Job replied, how long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me, shamelessly you attack me. If it's true that I've gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He's blocked my way so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I'm gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He's not really having a very good time, Job, is he? It gets worse. He's alienated my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. My guests and my female servants count me as a foreigner. 
They look on me as a stranger. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I love that line. I just don't know why, but it makes me smile every time I read it. I am lonesome to my own family. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you say how we will hound him since the root of his trouble lies in him, you should fear the sword yourselves. For wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we read your word, you would open up our minds to understand what it is that you want to say to each one of us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, to understand this passage, you must understand the context. You must understand the why and the what of what's happened in the story of Job up to this point. And the story really begins right back in Job 1, when Job is described as a man who is blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil. Job is a good guy in a bad world. He's God's guy in a godless world. And it says there, the devil, or Satan, whose name means the accuser, is standing before God, accusing God's people of various different acts of unfaithfulness, because that's what an accuser does. And God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. To which Satan replies that the reason why Job is like this is because God is nice to him. That's the summary of what Satan says. It's only because, God, you increase his flocks and you watch over him. But you know what? If you were to take all that away from him, and if Job believed that it was your hand that was acting against him, instead of keep providing blessings for him, then he would curse you like the rest of the people that Job lives among who curse you. And so Satan is allowed by God to do whatever he wants to Job, but in effect, he can't kill him. Now remember, it's important we understand this. God delights in Job. He believes in Job. In fact, God believes in Job so much that he can say to Satan, basically, no matter what you do, Job is not going to curse you like the rest of the people, curse me at the moment. And so this scene is set, this extraordinary moment in Job's life. In fact, I would say there are very few people like Job in the Bible. 
It's just it's very early on. This is very early on in, in, in time, in Old Testament time. And we get this ringside seat at this extraordinary moment in Job's life. See, Job thinks God's against him, when actually God is for him. Job thinks that all these things are happening to him because God is doing them, when actually Satan is doing them. If you like, there's a battle going on, literally, between God and Satan, if you like. Will this man curse his Lord and God if enough bad things happen to him and he thinks God is behind them? Will he curse God or will he not? There's a battle going on and it's going on right in Job's life. And all heaven is watching and Satan is standing there with God and we're, we get to kind of watch in as well. And let me tell you, this is not a sham. This is not fake. This is not reality TV. Oh, we've just picked 12 people from random. Oh, yeah, right. This is life. This is happening. This is genuine. Will, God, will Job curse God? If he doesn't, if he doesn't curse God, then actually Satan is proved to be what he is, an accuser and a liar. And actually, Job is proved to be an upright man who will not curse God. And what God says about Job is proved to be, if you like, genuine as well. So the stakes are high here. But you know, Job knows none of this. Job doesn't know any of it. He's just dealing with life. He just woke up one morning and it's like everything changed. So we've got to understand he's, what Job knows about God as well is very limited. Much of the Old Testament hasn't happened, hasn't been written what Job knows about God is very limited, and he knows nothing of why this is suddenly happening. That's where we're up to in, this, in the story. This is where we come in this morning at chapter 19. Job is seriously struggling with this enigma. Why am I suffering? Why have I lost honor and wealth and health and family? Why are my friends deserting me? And those who stay are saying it's because you secretly sinned and God's punishing you. He's, he's struggling with this. And he can only conclude that God is his, his enemy. That's really what Job comes to at this point. He says, God has wronged me. That's, that's the conclusion that he draws. He doesn't curse God. He just looks at the facts and says, God has wronged me. And you, we can't blame Job for that, can we? completely understandable why Job said it. He doesn't curse God in there. He just says, so my summary is that God's hand is against me. God has wronged me. Now, Job is very wrong about that conclusion that God has wronged him, but it's so understandable why he thinks that's the case. So let's see how this thing plays out and what we can learn from it. What can we learn about the devil from what happens to Job? Well, there are a number of things that it says. It says he brings violence and darkness, verse 7 and 8. Because we know all these things have come at the hand of Satan. It says he brings violence and darkness. Though I cry violence, I get no response. My paths are shrouded in darkness. Number two, Satan brings shame and dishonor, verse 9. 
He has stripped me of my honor and the crown on my head. Satan brings spiritual and physical poverty and illness. You see it right the way through the chapter, but like verse 10, he tears me down on every side till I'm gone. That bit that he talks about by the skin of his teeth, the commentators reckon that he'd lost all his teeth by now. And so literally all he had was skin because he was so ill. Verse 20, I, I am nothing. I'm nothing but skin and bone. Spiritually and physically, this is what Satan is sowed into Job's life. Satan, we see, he turns people against each other, family and friends, that whole chunk between verses 13 and 19. Everybody, his wife, his friends, even his servants, even those that Job in those days owned, don't listen to him, ignore him. Even the little kids come out and mock him. It's what Satan does, turns people against one another, separates families, divides people off, puts people against each other. Satan separates people from God by any means. This sense in verse 12 where Job says, his troops advance in force, they build a siege ramp against me. They encamp around my tent. He's completely feeling cut off. He's completely cut off, surrounded. Like one of those old films where you see, you know, they're in the castle, but the enemy is completely surrounding them. No way to go, separated. It's what Satan loves to do. Separate people from one another separate people from God. See, just remember, everything that's happening to Job is being done by Satan. And therefore, it reflects something of what Satan is like. Are you with me? When God says, okay, do what you're going to do, Satan, what does Satan do? Does he give him ice cream and nice things? No. He sows this kind of misery into Job's life because this is what Satan is like. And it's what he was like then, and it's what he's like now. This is what Satan sowed into Job's life then, and these same things are the kind of things that he will try and sow into our lives today. I'm going to say the B word. I'll just say it once, and then we'll get over it. I'm going to say the Brexit word. Just Some forewarning. I think the devil loves Brexit. Not in the sense of whether it's right or wrong for the UK to be in or out of the European Union. I don't mean in that sense. I mean in the sense that it is giving him an unprecedented opportunity to sow hatred and division into this country. I don't think he cares whether we remain or leave. I don't think he really gives a monkeys. But I think if he can sow discord, hatred, anger, separating people into two camps and then putting them against each other... I think he loves that. So just to let you know, I'm not praying anymore for whether it's right for this nation to, to remain or leave. I'm not spending my prayer time doing that. I'm spending my prayer time praying, Lord, don't let this one issue destroy our democracy and our togetherness, however it turns out. Are you with me? There you go. That's my last and first word on Brexit. I think everything the devil brought into Job's life, he wants to bring into our lives. Darkness, shame, dishonor, Spiritual and physical poverty, turning one person against another, separating people from each other and from God. And if he can't do that, then I believe he wants to make us believe that he's kind of going to do that, that this is the case. He'll tell us a lie. 
And if he can't do that, then he's going to make us so fearful that actually we won't do anything to advance the kingdom of God. He just wants us sat quietly on the subs bench, never to come on the pitch. You see, Satan is like a vicious dog on a lead. He can't do everything. He is restrained. In this story, he is restrained. But if you get too near him, then like a vicious dog on a lead, he will bite you. He will bite you. It's why the instruction to us, if you've got a vicious dog on the lead, the instruction from a loving parent is not to their child, why don't you go and pat that nice vicious dog on the head? Why don't you just go and pat it? Be all right? Just go, oh, that's one arm gone. Our instruction is not to go and pat Satan on the head, but it is to flee, to run, to be aware of his schemes and to go nowhere near them. Job's suffering was terrible. He thought it came from God, but we know it came from Satan. And actually, as terrible as it is, it gives us a window into what Satan is truly like. We learn something about Satan from what Job suffered. So that's the first thing. We learn something about the devil. But we also, at the same time, learn something about God. Because even though, and this does my head in every time I think about it, Even though Job is hurt and he's confused by his suffering, it's an enigma to him, and he thinks it's God who's doing it, actually, we still get to learn things about God and what he's truly like by what Job says. Because even though he thinks God is responsible, Job is still crying out to God for some things. Are you with me? He's still crying out to God, which means somehow, deep down, despite everything, Job knows that these things come from God. And even though at the moment he can't understand why, he's getting the opposite and he thinks God's given it to him, come the moment he still cries out to God, God, won't you do these things? You know, in the old days, you know, they used to appeal for rain by doing rain dances to the sky. You know, they didn't used to cry out to, you know, other things because they knew rain comes from the sky. So we want rain. Let's cry out to the rain. It's a... When you think about this, it's it's mind-blowing that Job appeals to God, cries out to God for the very things that he's not getting, and in fact, he's getting the opposite, and he thinks they come from God, and yet he's still compelled to cry out to God for them. Just look at them. Verse 7, though I cry violence, I get no response, But, but he's crying out to God for a response. He wants justice, verse 7. He says, though I call for help, there's no justice. He, God, he doesn't believe God is treating him justly, and yet he's still there crawling out to God for justice. God is the one, verse 8, who brings light and brings clear paths. Job wants light in this situation. He wants clear paths. He cries out to God for it. It's God who crowns us with honor and sonship. Job knows what it is to be crowned with honor by God. And so even though he thinks God's taken off the crown, he still cries out to God, will you kind of put the crown back on because it comes from you? He knows God is the giver of hope, even though he says here, my hope's been pulled up from the roots like a tree. He cries out to God for hope. Actually, verse 11, he talks about his anger burning against him. But he knows that actually God's love burns for him. That God counts us as friends and family. That it's God who 
defends us. See, actually, these things are all part of the character of God, and they all come from the hand of God. And yet, it's unbelievable to think the circumstances that Job is in and who Job thinks is to blame for that. And yet, he's still crying out. He's still appealing to God. God, will you restore these things? Will you do these things in my life? I'm still looking for you to do these things. These things God did and brought into Job's life and that Job is looking for, guess what? God still wants to bring into our lives. Just like Satan keeps doing the same old rubbish, God still keeps doing the same old good. He's absolutely consistent. I stand here without any shadow of a doubt to say that these things that God actually sowed in Job's life and Job was appealing to God for once again he wants in our lives. Just have a look down that list. If you read any of them and you long for them, you need them in your life right now, can I encourage you to look to God for them? If you need help, if you need justice, if you need light in dark situations, clear paths, if you need hope, if you need protection, then look to God for them. The easiest thing in the world is to look everywhere else. We look to ourselves, we look to other people, we look to what we have, we look for books, we look, 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 we don't find, we give up. Because the answer is to look to God for them. Even Job, in this situation, knows he needs to look to God for these things. The psalmist says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. If Job can look to God in his situation, then I believe we can look to God in any situation that we might be in. So we learn something about God from what Job is looking for. But we also learn something about faith. This thing called faith. Because just bear in mind, I think I've tried to paint the picture for you. The suffering, the situation that Job is in, the, his health is gone, his wealth is gone, his family are against him, his honor's gone. And wrongly but understandably, he thinks this is all God's doing it. Actually, what Job says next are some of the most precious and faith-filled words in the Bible. I reckon at this moment, Satan is leaning forward because he reckons this is the moment Job is going to curse God. Don't you? This is the moment. It's all been leading up to this is the moment he's going to do it. And this is what Job says. Oh, that my words were recorded and that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. Oh, here Job goes. He's going to curse God. He's going to curse God and he's going to get it stoned. Chiseled in stone for everyone to see. This is what God does. This is what he's like. But Job says this. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. How my heart yearns within me. Job declares, not a curse on God. 
but that God is his redeemer. That ultimately God's going to vindicate him in the face of all these false allegations. That even though Job basically knows that this illness is going to kill him, that he's going to die, he's absolutely certain that somehow he's going to die, but this is not the end of my life. And somehow, because my Redeemer lives, I am going to live as well. That he's going to see his Redeemer. He's going to see his God with his own two eyes, and his heart yearns for that. This is rock bottom. Job is at the very depths of despair. He believes that God has abandoned him. Everybody else has abandoned him. This is the moment, if ever there was a moment, to open his mouth and curse God. And yet in this moment, Job takes his eyes off himself. He takes his eyes off his circumstances. And he fixes his eyes on God. And he declares, my Redeemer lives. And because he lives, I am going to live. It's like he's saying, if I can paraphrase, like Job is saying, look, I'm a dying man. My hopes are dying, but he lives and he lives forever. And therefore, he is going to make me live again, not in this world, but in another world. And actually, my so-called friends who are condemning me and saying there's some secret sin, actually, a day is going to come when I'm going to be vindicated and my integrity is going to be brought into light. Just think about this. Job is standing there saying it, and from heaven's perspective, that day has just come. It's just come, because the battle has been, will Job open his mouth and curse God? And if ever there was a moment, this was the moment that Job was going to open his mouth and curse God. And he doesn't. He doesn't. He look, and he says, my Redeemer lives. The commentators really debate exactly how much Knowledge did Job have in his mind when he said this? How, how much was he picturing Jesus on the cross, our great mediator, the lamb who was slain to take away the sin of the world? I don't think Job knew that much. Most commentators don't think Job knew that much. All really we know is that Job is putting his faith in God for redemption, for salvation. That somehow God is going to redeem him. God is going to be the one somehow in court who is going to pay the price and redeem Job. So despite all that he's experiencing, despite the fact that he wrongly assumes it to come from God, Job chooses in that moment to hold on to what he knows about God. That if God redeemed Israel with an outstretched arm, that God was going to redeem and save Job with an outstretched arm. Even though Job thinks God's doing it all to him, even though Job has no idea as to why this is happening to him, even though Job has no idea as to how God is going to redeem him, he doesn't really know who, he doesn't really know why, he doesn't really know how, but he knows God and he chooses in this moment to put his faith in God despite everything else. And that, can I say, is faith. That's faith. That is faith. We know, we know that it's not God. We know it's Satan. 
we know that God is actually allowing it to prove his own delight in Job. That no, no, God says you are a good and upright man who resists evil. We know that's part of why God is doing this. We know that Jesus is going to be God's means of redemption and salvation through the cross. Job knew, I think, none of that. None of that. He may have had a little inkling that somehow God was going to do it. Just, just an inkling. One commentator said it's like he's standing there and it's pitch black and he just sees the first ray of light in the morning. The first ray of dawn in the darkness. That's all Job knew. I think it's amazing how much faith Job had when he had so little knowledge. I think it's a challenge to us because we have got so much knowledge. We know about God, we know about Jesus, we know about salvation, we know about redemption, we know about heaven, we know about hell, we know about the Holy Spirit. And yet sometimes, compared to Job, I think I have very little faith. Amazing, amazing words. Let me just end by saying a few things. And then when we finish, we're going to have a, a, a worship song. And then we're going to have a time where... It, if you've got a word of knowledge or a prophetic word for someone here that God's given you this morning or is going to give you during the worship, I trust, then we're going to have a time where we can share them and pray for one another and see what God wants to do. Is that all right? Is anybody up for that? That's what we want to do. But let me just end by saying this. You know, I think if we keep a right perspective and a big picture we can overcome anything through faith. If Job can overcome this, I believe we can overcome anything through faith. But I do think a couple of things. Number one, we do have to keep a right perspective. God is good, the devil is bad, so let's look to God, let's resist the devil. It sounds so childishly simple, and yet if you're anything like me, I can forget it on a virtually daily basis. Secondly, we must keep the big picture of things. We don't know everything about the past. We don't know everything about what's going on in the spiritual realm. We don't know what's going to really happen in the future. We get some headlines. We know God wins. We know we're on the winning side. But there's a lots of details that we don't know at all. Do you know, the truth is, the more you think about life, and I definitely think this the older that I get, I think I know much less than ever I thought I knew. And in fact, the lot that I thought I knew is actually very little. The truth is, we know some things and they're really important, but there's a whole lot of things we don't know. Therefore, why don't we trust God today? And then when we wake up tomorrow, trust God tomorrow. And if we do that, the following day, why don't we trust God? And why don't we then do that the day after? I do think that this is the only way, it's the right way to live as Christians. And the third one, I just want to say that faith, faith like we see here in Job, it can only be grown and displayed in the here and now, in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. You know, dreaming or planning to be really faithful to God in the future is just a dream. It's just a dream. It's a good dream, but it's no more than a dream. Faith can only be displayed now, today, here and now. Which is why I think the Bible says that God loves faith. 
rewards faith, moves as a result of faith. I don't know about you, but I, I long to have more faith, and I would love to have faith like Job had. I'd love to have faith like Job has. Because I want to be a person who lives among a people who have no hope, who has hope. To live among a people who have no faith, who has faith. Not that I might appear better than them, that when they look of my life, they may say, there's a God in heaven. Can you tell me about him? I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Bless you. Tim, could we worship? We're going to worship. And please, uh, please, as we worship, please be asking God, is there a word that he wants you to bring this morning? Is there a scripture? Is there something that he wants to do this morning in somebody else's life? But you're the one that he's going to speak to, to let that other person know. In fact, could you just close your eyes for a second? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge, the encouragement of it. Lord, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And these same things that you do as we read your word, they're the same things you want to do today in our lives. And so as we worship with this song, Lord, I want to ask by your Holy Spirit, if there are words of knowledge or prophetic words that you want shared this morning, because there are lives that you want to touch, people that you want to bless and encourage and heal, then Lord, I pray that you would drop them into our hearts, drop them into our minds right now, Lord. We would be a people who are open to being used by you this morning for what you want to do in lives. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Thank